friends, my name is Adam, if we haven't met, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. And we're in the second week of a series called Set Sail, of the voyage for our church. Kind of setting the vision for what it is we do around here. When I was planning the night I'd propose to my then-girlfriend, Sarah, I was trying to pull out all the stops. And yeah, it was, I needed every inch of goodwill and good planning. So... Uh, we had tickets to uh, Powell Symphony Hall in St. Louis for a, for a symphony concert, and I was looking for a, a fancy place to eat dinner. And so I called the, the famed landmark Italian restaurant Giovanni's on the Hill. And they've served Oprah, they've served Ronald Reagan, they both have dishes named after them there, so I thought, okay, let's, let's go all out. And when I made the reservation, you know, I was nervous. So I said to the person on the phone, now listen, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend sometime that night. It might be at dinner, so I don't know if you could help me out and maybe have a candle on the table or something. And I knew I was going to be in good shape when the gentleman said, oh, we have a candle, sir. It's a very nice. Yeah, this is going to be great. And my first indicator that this was a fancy dinner was when I ordered a Coke, it was presented to me with the pageantry of like a bottle of wine from the 18th century. <laughs> the guy had a towel over his arm and my little Coke was bottle popped and poured into my little glass and I thought, hey, this is pretty nice. And then later throughout the meal, you know, they had brought bread or whatever, there was a dude and his whole job was to have like this tiny little broom and he came and brushed the crumbs off of your table. I felt like a millionaire. It was amazing. I had never been treated like that in my entire life. Now that was in December of 2006, and I still remember it years later. I wonder when was the time when you received excellent service? Now as much as I like being the diner in the equation I described, Christ calls us to be more of the crumb sweeper. Yeah, you knew something was coming. Uh, what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word together today is that everyone gets the gift of serving someone. And we'll see how the gift of service plays out as we read our scripture today from the book of Ephesians. Uh, this was written by Paul to the ancient city of Ephesus. And I love my old school Bible maps here. Uh, Ephesus is in modern Turkey. And Paul was a leader in the early church, writing to some of the first Christians. And this letter that he wrote became a book of the Bible. And that's why it's called uh, the letter to the Ephesians. Paul's describing the different roles that are within the church. And that ultimately everyone contributes to the work. It's all hands on deck. So I'm going to read from the NRSV version. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. The gifts, and he is, is Jesus, the gift Christ gave to the church were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stance, stature, excuse me, of Christ. Now, verses 11 and 12 are a churchy word salad, if, if I've ever heard one. I mean, it's just loaded. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Later we hear about saints. We hear about ministry. We need to make sure we understand the definition of these and how they were 
defined in the first century when Paul wrote this letter, and then how there's still different titles and gifts to the modern church. So as apostle, an apostle is in one sense a technical term, and it's also true in a general sense. The original apostles, we might think of the 12 disciples, you may have heard that terminology, uh, they were also apostles because they learned directly from Jesus. That's one qualification of an, of an apostle. And they were sent into ministry directly. They were commissioned by Jesus himself. And so there were the original 12, but there were also others in the New Testament we read about that learned from Jesus directly and were sent into ministry by Jesus. Paul was among these people. He had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and was called into ministry. So in a technical sense, an apostle was a specific office within the early church. But in a general sense, an apostle, uh, that word comes from the Greek term apostolos, which means messenger or sent one. So every follower of Jesus has been sent into the world to be a representative of Jesus. And so if we were listening to, you know, the definition of an apostle and thinking, whew, that ain't me. Like, I'm going to excuse myself from that. Wrong. Like, it's all of us. And, and when we think of prophets, that's a very official sounding word. It's got a lot of weight to it. You may think of someone who tells the future. Uh, I was in Branson for a conference and drove by, like, a fortune teller's building. You may think of something like that as a prophet. We associate them with predictions in the future. Well, this early church office of prophet is not that. I love how scholar William Barclay described it. That prophets did not so much foretell the future as foretell the will of God. A prophet in the New Testament was also a specific role. They would travel from church to church and, and they would share uh, the insight, the word that, that God had given them. An evangelist would similarly travel from place to place, announcing the good news about Jesus. That's what the word evangelist means. It's got the roots meaning good news of God. I love how John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he linked the offices of prophet and evangelist, commenting on Ephesians 4, some prophets and some evangelists. A prophet testifies of things to come, an evangelist of things past. And that chiefly by preaching the gospel before or after any of the apostles. So they had specific offices of prophet and evangelist in the early church. But if you've ever spoken up for something that wasn't right in God's eyes, you're a prophet. Especially if you suffered for it. In evangelism, you know, we have all these images that kind of this baggage that comes with that word. So being an evangelist doesn't mean, you know, yelling people through a bullhorn on a street corner or, or buying your second private jet for your, your worldwide ministry. Evangelism can be as simple as sharing the story of how knowing Jesus has changed your life. So the spirit of these offices is still very much alive and needed and relevant in the 21st century church. We then read about pastors and teachers, as opposed to the traveling ministry of uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers were more stationary. They were somewhat permanent offices. 
Now, I'm obviously a fan of the office of pastor. It comes from the Latin word uh, for shepherd. That's where we get our word pastor. Um, I brought something today. This is one of my prized possessions. Some of you may know a gentleman at our church named Brent Friday. And about a month ago, he gave this to me. Uh, shepherd's crook, shepherd's staff. And uh, it's very special to me. He, he was here last service. When I told him I had a shout out for him, he about turned green. Uh, but we worked it out. Now, what I've discovered in carrying this with me today is if you carry a shepherd's staff around, especially at a church, people will give you some respect. <laughs> They're like, whoa, what's, what's this? Um, but this was just a, a sign that, or a, a token of uh, the office of shepherd. I thought that was really cool. Um, of all the offices named in Ephesians 4, this is one of them that we're probably most familiar with. But I do regret a mistake we make with assigning this office of pastor. And it's, it's something that, actual, that pastors actually reinforce. And that's the concept that pastoring is only for the professionals. So I think we need to broaden our definition of pastor a little bit. Like we've made the office of pastor true in a technical sense. I've been to seminary uh, to be a pastor in the Methodist Church. I had to pass a psych exam, uh, lots, lots of, I won't say hoops. There's, there's a process of vetting that, that goes with being a pastor, and that's important. But in a general sense, I think a lot of us fulfill the role as pastors. We just may not call it that. Like if, if you're a parent, you're a pastor. Are you not a shepherd? Of your children, even as they grow and, and are, are adults. You, and grandchildren, that's right. You support them, you guide them, you nurture them, maybe even correct them. Probably not your grandkids, but um, you're a pastor. If you're responsible for anybody at work, you're not a manager. I would argue you're a pastor. You're a pastor. You're there to care for them, to look out for people. And so if you have any guiding role or influence with anyone, I would consider you a pastor. It's interesting that pastors and teachers are linked in, in verse 11 of chapter 4. The apostles, prophets, and evangelists would travel around and they'd help spark people's faith. But then it was the teachers who faithfully offered instruction that would help build up people's faith. Long after the apostles and evangelists and, and prophets had left, the teachers stayed. We have teachers in the church that help lead our children, that help lead our students, and, and lead classes and groups for adults. The office of teacher is probably the most plainly and intuitively transferable office for our church today from our scripture. So we've, we've tried to go over what each of these offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, what all these meant in a technical sense in the first century, and in a general sense, for the church for all time. Now, my favorite word in verse 11, I think the operative word, is some. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Christ appointed some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. I love that everyone gets to do something. According to Ephesians 4, there may be different offices, but they all have the same objective. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
Now here's more churchy loaded words. A saint, uh, 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 how do we define ministry? I already told you about one saint, my wife for marrying me. I was talking with Ray Dunn earlier. He'd say the same about Marilyn, celebrating 65 years. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, now, the word saint uh, comes from the Greek term hagios, which means holy. And in this sense, when it's applied to people, it means God's holy people. So I've already told, told you a lot of you are pastors. Now I'm telling you a lot of you are saints. And I think that's true. Saints are the people who make up the church, God's holy people. Now, ministry comes from the word diakonia, which means servant. So when Paul says these offices are for uh, building up the saints for the work of ministry, ministry comes from the word diakonia, which means servants. Some of us may have grown up in a church where there was like a deacon board. The word deacon has at its root diakonia. The offices in the church are meant to, to build people up for the saints, for the people of the church, to serve in ministry, to serve. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. And so I would say anytime we use our gifts to serve others, that's ministry. When we use our God-given gifts well to serve others, that's ministry. That's what we're doing. So we read about the gifts Christ gave to the church. And all of those gifts point to equipping people to use God's gifts for the sake of others. Now, there isn't just one way to do this. Everyone gets the gift of serving someone. You know, my, my, my wife, Sarah, I've, I've talked about our fancy dinner or whatever, but she sings at 9.30 or she's helped with children's ministry. People up here sang. Some of us would rather do anything than sing in front of other people, right? Now, there's others of us who uh, might not prefer to sing up front, but who can help make sure everybody sounds good in the back. Or some of us, like, just would do anything not to have to make small talk with people. I personally love talking to people for like eight seconds at a time. And, and, and <laughs> I do it to y'all through the line. Uh, and th those, those people make great greeters. It's like my wife, Sarah, very gifted vocalist, loves praising God and doesn't mind doing that in a public setting, is not the biggest fan of small talk. She'd tell you that. And so we each have our different, our different spots, and that's by God's design, so that everyone can have a gift of serving someone. It all doesn't have to look the same way. But together, we build up the church, the body of Christ, and this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The church is built up to help people be unified in faith and mature into Christ-likeness. This is a pretty good job description for what the church exists for. It does a great job of answering the question, what's church for? What is it you say you do here? To bring people into unity of faith and knowledge of Jesus and help them mature in Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. And this is what our Set Sail series is all about. That as we emerge from the pandemic, you know, we got a lot of good things going. We don't need to right the ship, but we need to set the sail. What can our church unify around? Last week, we debuted a fresh vision beyond survival from COVID. 
that God was calling our church to be a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. And if you missed that message last week, I'd encourage you uh, to find that online on our website. We spent a lot of time last week unpacking what it meant to be an unlikely friend. That despite all the division and anger in our society, we at our church can transcend all of those labels and categories that divide and be united in following Jesus. And as we launch this vision, there's a lot more than I can fit into a single message or even a series of messages. And so if you go to carney.church slash our vision, you can get uh, a more detailed look at, at what the vision is at our church, where we're headed. We have some printed copies at the welcome desk. This isn't a secret. I just can't describe it all in a single message. So last week was about our vision, and the question was, where is God leading us? This week, in light of Paul's call for saints to be equipped and church to be built up, the question is, well, how do we do that? What's our strategy for accomplishing this? How can we go where God is leading and make disciples of Jesus? And so that's represented by a threefold kind of trio of words and images. And I'm so excited to be, debut the killer graphics I had made up for this. <laughs> no, I thought to myself, okay, if we were going to sit down at La Fuente and go through this, how would I do it? And so I'll just, I'd write it out. Everything in our church should fit into one of these three categories. And if you think through the stuff you're involved in or maybe things you've heard about, I would argue that they do. That we exist to help people know Christ, grow together, and go serve the world. And so here's some more of my killer penmanship. You've got kind of these, these different buckets or categories, right? So what are the things our church does to help people know Christ? Well, we have worship. That's probably our most visible thing. I had a conversation in the lobby before this about someone wanting to talk about baptism. That's how people enter into the faith and make a public declaration of knowing Christ. We help people experience Jesus at our church through communion. And baptism and communion are the sacred things. That's why they're called sacraments. The sacred things that Jesus instituted for the church to carry on. So that's a big part of our ministry. And then as individuals, we have prayer and reading scripture. Those are ways, studying the Bible, those are ways that we get to know Christ. But, but when you come in here and you're in worship, you're not just an individual in a pew. You're, you're part of, just like the choir. That's not, a, that's not a collection of individual singers. That's a whole like unit. And so that's what the church becomes. John Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Christianity is a team sport. There's my translation. Christianity is a team sport. So we don't need to do this on our own. In fact, we're called to community, not as, not as just isolated Christians. And so a huge part of what we, we need to do is to help people grow together. We do that through our different groups, through our support groups that help people uh, with grief in addiction, uh, that help people with trauma. All of those are happening this semester. Through studying, again, that's like knowing Christ, but in a group setting, growing together. And then we have community groups, everything from crocheting to, to Monday night football. It's actually a part of my job to go eat pizza with people. Like, what, what is better than that? <laughs> this is what our first kids ministry does. Every Sunday and beyond, they help children grow together. Same thing with our impact student ministries. This is a massive part of our efforts as a church. And then when we consider going to serve the world, that's a huge part of, of who we are as a church. 
I couldn't even fit all the stuff on three pieces of paper when it came to that. And so we have efforts in Haiti. Uh, Love KC is kind of our umbrella for all of our local outreach ministry, of which I can't even begin to scratch the surface of. And then again, this concept that we each as individuals are sent. And so you have like Jeremy leads worship here, but then Monday through Friday, he's sent to Newmark Middle School where he's a teacher. Or maybe you're sent to the preschool or to your block or to your job in financial services. Whatever it is, you can affect God's kingdom wherever you've been sent. And so there's, there's this collective sense where we have ministries that our church supports, but then also individually, we're all sent out to represent God in the world. Everything we do fits into one of these categories. If it doesn't, well, then what, what are we doing it for? And so in order to pull off helping people know, grow, and go, we have to have some folks that serve in that capacity here. We've been averaging about 400 adults per Sunday uh, recently. So that's about 1,600 folks a month. In order to pull off hospitality, kids, student ministry, tech, we need about 41 or 42 people every week. That comes up to 165 people a month, or about 11% of our attendance. None of this stuff just happens. When I was in college, I'd go home for things like Thanksgiving break or Christmas break, and I would just show up and have Thanksgiving dinner. It was great. You know, when my sister left for college, my dad just wept and wept and wept. When I left for college, he talked about how much money they would save on groceries. And I, I, thought, I thought that was very hurtful. Uh, <laughs> but then, as I grew up, when I wasn't just 19, it occurred to me in my 20s, well, maybe I should, I don't know, bring a side for Thanksgiving. Right? I didn't just come to eat. I, I also came, I didn't just show up empty-handed. And now as an adult, I've really crossed the threshold because I used to eat the turkey. Now I smoke the turkey. Had to show off some of my work. So this is us on, on Christmas of 2020. My stepmom, Marianne, is with my wife and kids. And uh, now as an adult, I don't just show up and eat the food. I make the food for my family. And that's a different experience. One of the marks of Christian maturity, one of them, is moving from being a guest to being a host. That having received, we mature into the role of the host and offer the opportunity for someone else to receive from us. Part of Christian, one of the marks of Christian maturity is giving up some of your experience so that someone else can have that experience. Jeremy, there was about, what, 40 folks up here today, close to that? It was a full... What time they get here? 10.45. Okay, I thought it was going to be a little earlier than that. <laughs> 6 a.m. <laughs> we'll edit that out. But everything you see, I mean, my man Gary, he's, he's in the choir early, then he comes back and is on time with all the slides. So they don't just show up. They, I tell you what. Part of the work happens also on Wednesdays. There we go. There we go. 
And, and none of this stuff just happens. And, and I, I don't want to belabor the point. But we can't help anyone know, grow, and go without people who've matured in their faith and hopefully joyfully choose they want to serve as hosts. And when you do, you find out it's rewarding in a whole different way. Now, I get permission for all these, uh, but I wanted to tell you about my friend Pam. Uh, she serves in our hospitality ministry. There's her with our boy, Casey Wolf. This is what she said. I enjoy being a part of the hospitality team. The church is a second home to me, so I want to give back. Plus, I help because the church helps me to continue to strengthen my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I promise I did not pay her to say that. <laughs> and that's just truly what she felt. It's amazing. This is my man, Dave. He helps with a lot of the, the network here at our church, like the internet and computer stuff. This is all stuff that almost no one sees, but everyone would know if it was broken. I, I said, well, how's, how has serving been rewarding for you? He said, it's hard to put into words. It was always instilled by my parents and extended family to help others. I just feel like I'm using my talents to do so. And by doing so, I see others grow and get to know Jesus in their own way. I don't know how many of you have been served coffee by our friend Holly. She's in middle school. And we're like, Holly, you know, you don't have to do this every Sunday. She said, I like to talk to everyone and see everyone every week. And it makes me happy. And I made a lot of friends doing it. Eddie works in the media booth. He said, I find it rewarding to see how music impacts and uplifts worship. When standing at the back, it's not only great to see all the other volunteers serving alongside, but to watch an entire congregation hear and feel the music really moves me. Some of you may know Sarah. She said as a greeter, she loves getting high fives from folks. And when she's a Sunday school teacher, she, she gets to hear stories about what the kids did that weekend, about the splash pad or whatever. She said helping with communion is a, is a huge honor to her. She said, all these things and more make Sundays the absolute best day of the week. So when we serve in meaningful ways, it's not something we have to do. Hopefully, it's something we feel like we get to do. And so in the lobby after service, you'll see some folks under some signs at, at some tables down at the kind of nice wood floor there at the far end of the lobby. And they've got some information. You should have gotten a card on your seat with information on how you can volunteer to help be a host at our church. And all this is about is trying to make it easy. You know, it doesn't always happen, but one of my goals is that dealing with your church should not be as frustrating as dealing with, like, your cable company. <laughs> right? And if you work for the cable company, I love you dearly. But, I mean, we all know that just, sometimes it's frustrating to figure out how to break through. So we need to do our best to make it easy for you as a staff. The best thing we as a staff can do is to help, to help you find a place where you can use your gifts for ministry. And that can look a whole lot of different ways. And that's good because none of this happens without a whole lot of people choosing to give up some of their Sunday morning experience or whatever ministry they're involved in on whatever day. They give up some of their experience so that other people can have that experience. And when we do, we find out we gain much more. When we move from, from guest to host, we don't have to all have the same gifts. We can serve in different ways. And as we build up the body of Christ, everyone gets the gift of serving someone.
And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together in your presence. We thank you for this community of faith. We thank you for all the different ways that you've gifted us. And we thank you for the privilege of using those gifts to see others come to maturity in Christ. God, help us to uh, resist the urge to stay as the diner and help us pick up our tiny little broom uh, and sweep some crumbs. As we have received freely from you, help us to freely give. As we have hopefully benefited uh, from ministry here, impress on our hearts the ways that we can contribute to ministry here. God, we thank you that by your design, we're not all the same, that we don't have the same gifts or the same capacity or the same joys. Help us each to find our place in the body so that your church can be built up, so that we can make an impact here in Kearney, around Kansas City, and around the globe as we seek to be a community of unlikely friends following you together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.